Okay, thank you everybody for coming. Sorry that we started late. Um, I hope everybody had a great Hanukkah. We are continuing our shiur on the tefillah, and we are in the middle of our discussion on Pesukei de Zimra. Now, <clears throat> Pesukei de Zimra, as we have so far seen, is a very interesting topic because the earliest history of Pesukei de Zimra is shrouded in mystery. And what we've been able to glean so far in our study of Pesukei de Zimra has been that the Pesukei de Zimra's origins are in the time of the earliest Tanaim. And just to recap, in the time of the Tanaim, there was a minhag to finish the Halal every day, so to speak. That was what they called it, Gimirat Halal. Um, we don't know exactly what Pesukim they said, but by the time of the Gemara, at least the Talmud Bavli, they had called this collection of Pesukim the Pesuke de Zimra, the verses of song, not the chapters of song, but rather the verses of song, because it seems that there was a collection of verses, not just chapters of Psalms, but a collection of songs and verses of song that were said every morning before the prayers. We find that the later Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, Talmudic sources tell us that these psalms were from Kufmem Hay, from what we know as Tehila Ladavid, until the end of Tehillim, from Kufmem Hay, from, from Psalm 145, all the way to Kufnun. That was the Babylonian custom, and the custom among those in, in Eretz Yisrael, the, those who followed Talmud Yushami, was to do the 15 Sheremalos every day. They would finish it with Hodu Lashem. Kitov, Kilam Chasto, and the entire Halal Hagadol. And both of those rites had their own blessings before and after their Pesuket Zimra or the Berchas Hashir, Tfilas Hashir of the Minag Eretz Yisrael. So that we looked in the last time at the early development of Pesuket Zimra and we discussed how it came to to where it was in the time of the Rishonim. Now, so now we're going to approach the time of the Rishonim, the medieval era. And the medieval era is a new time to study the Pesukit Zimra because there's a lot of changes in the medieval period in regards to Pesukit Zimra. And there's a lot of additions, a lot of things that were embellished, and a lot of things that are not just from Kuf Memhe all the way to Kuf Nun. And what I want to discuss tonight is how did we get there? to the Middle Ages, where we have so many embellishments. How did we get to a place where, and I'll share my screen with you. Uh, there we go. How did we get to a place where there are not just, uh, you know, one or two, but there's at least uh, almost a dozen embellishments to the Pesukit Zimra that we know today. And on my screen here, as I'm sharing my screen, I'm sharing just roughly 11, but there's there's more. Uh, embellishments and additions that were added to the Pesukit Zimra beyond Ashrei um, and the Halalukas that were added in medieval times. We have Hashemayim Esaprim Kavod Kel, Yan Hashem Biyom Tzara, Hashem Alech Hashem Alech Hashem Yimloch Lomabed. We have Hodu Lashem Kiru Bishmo, Yichvod Hashem Le'olam, the first three, ver the first two verses of Ashrei, right? Ashrei Yosheb Secha, before we say Tila Ladavid, those Pesukim are from a different parak. We have Mizmar Latoda which really should be number six, but okay. Baruch Hashem Lolam Amen Ve'amein, Vayvarach David, Vacharisim Habris, which is from Nechemia, Vayvarach David, which is from Debrei Yamim. And we have Azar Shemosheh, which is, of course, from um, the Shiraz Hayam. So how did we get here? Why is it that 
the why is it that in the medieval sidurim and the medieval witnesses that we have they received all of these embellishments was there a rhyme was there a reason was you know did it did they say these verses because it rhymed did they have a specific reason for saying these verses was there a motivation behind each piece typically when we study jewish liturgy and we look at a piece of liturgy one of the best questions to ask ourselves is what was the motivation behind adding this prayer to the liturgy and why did what were the motivations as the generations progressed to retain it and to keep it inside the liturgy but when we conf when we're confronted here with these psalms and these collections of verses we don't have uh what are they called we don't have original authorships this is not like we're studying the kaddish here what we have here are just psalms these are from the torah these are from tanakh these are from tehillim so rather than asking why were they written which is a, a biblical question we should ask how did they become a part of the liturgy and that, that's a very difficult question to answer when it comes to the Pesuke de Zimra. Part of the problem is with this problem, part of the problem with, with studying this is that the oral history of the, the early history of synagogal prayer was very, was different in the, in the, in the early, in the early medieval times than it is today. Typically, when people would go to the synagogue, they would go to the synagogue to start services with Baruch Hu. They would do the Berch Shachar at home. They would do Psuke de Zimra at home. And they would come to shul for Baruch Hashem Borach. It's only into the Middle Ages, like past the year 1000, that we get to the High Middle Ages, that we get the custom shifting where Psuke de Zimra or even Berch Shachar begins to be said at shul as well. And therefore... We don't have an oral history, in, even in their time, even in the time of the Rishonim. We simply don't have an oral history of people knowing exactly what everybody else is saying at home. This is a private prayer. And if Sukkot Zimmer was considered a private prayer, which is said at home, how is anybody supposed to know what anybody else does? And to further complicate things, our earliest Sidurim, whether they're Halachas Farm or otherwise, especially the manuscripts, our earliest manuscripts contain a whole mixed uh, bag of messages. If you look in the Kairogeniza, you have all different rites with all different confusing um, fragments of different people's personal customs. You would have, if you look at the, um, if you look in the Kairogeniza, of course, you'll see a mixture of Babli and Yerushalmi customs. But even if you look at the earliest manuscripts Sidurim from, let's say, the 13th century, what you'll find is that a lot of the copyists would mix the Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh uh, prayers with the weekday prayers just to save space. They would say, okay, when it's Shabbos, we say this. When it's weekday, we say that. When it's Rosh Chodesh, we say that. Because they wanted to save space. And sometimes they would forget to write, oh, on Shabbos, we say this until here. They would like forget to demarcate any of the prayers in the sitter. So we don't have any oral witnesses in their time. We don't have any textual witnesses from their time of people telling us what they did in the early uh, in early medieval times, what they did before the year 1000. And most of the evidence we have after the year 1000 is really halachic in nature or fragmentary in nature. And it leaves us guessing. It leaves us guessing as to what people actually did at home, what people actually did in the synagogue. So we have a double problem. First of all, in the early mid middle medieval times, it was very private. So no, we don't know what people did, uh, how people practiced Sukkot Zimra at home. And then in the high Middle Ages, not only was it 
transferring from private to public worship, not only was it transferring to the basic Nessus where people were starting to say Pesukidism on the basic Nessus, but most of the evidence we have is fragmentary. And the um, people, the, the halacha only gives us a guess as to what people actually did. And finally, a lot of the textual witnesses themselves, like the manuscript Sidurim, only mix everything up and don't tell us exactly what those kihilos did. So we have a very tough problem ahead of us to figure out how the Pesukit Zimra actually evolved from early medieval times into the high Middle Ages, meaning, let's say, from 500 to 1,000 and from 1,000 to roughly 1,400. Okay, so now how are we going to start approaching this problem? Ah, so one of the ways we could do it is, and I hope I'm, am I sharing my screen? Let me share my screen. One of the ways we could do it is to take a time machine and go back to the very beginning. We take a time machine and we go back to the caves of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I'm not going to discuss the Dead Sea Scrolls right now, but one of the Dead Sea Scrolls is called 11QPS, uh, right? Qumran Cave 11, um, the Psalm Scroll. And if we look all the way back to the first and second centuries as to how these sects were praying, we get some idea of how Jews in that time were thinking about prayer. From the Qumran scrolls, from the scrolls of, uh, in, uh, from these sects of Judaism in the Dead Sea, we see that people really wanted to use the Tehillim as a form of liturgy. But what's most important is that we see that their um, Tehillim liturgy was very much collaborative. They, we see that they would take Tehillim, they would modify it. And let's say here, if, we, if you look at the screen in front of me, this is the famous 11 Q, uh, uh, Q PSA, one of one of the the, the most famous uh, pieces of Tehillim from the from the Qumran caves. And this is Ashrei, right? It starts Tehillah Ladabid. After every pasuk, they end Baruch Shem Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo Leolam Ve'ed Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo Leolam Ve'ed. After every pasuk, people are answering Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo Baruch uh, uh, um, Baruch Hu Leolam Ve'ed. And incidentally, this is interesting to uh, to Bible critics, is that the, instead of not having a nun, this this uh, ashray does have a pusik that starts with a nun, which even the Bible critics say, no, this is this is just made up. They made up the pusik with a nun, and really David Melech never wrote a, a nun. They, they hold like the Gemara. <laughs> the Gemara holds there was no nun in ashray. But regardless, we do see from the from the uh, from the work of the Jews in the the, the liturgical. Uh, papers of the Jews in the Qumran, the a a a deep connection to Tehillim for their liturgy, and we see that they wanted to use the Tehillim to create a morning liturgy, and they used it in a collaborative sense, and they would modify Tehillim. They would turn them from from uh, chapters into verses. They would break them down in order to make a sort of liturgy. And again, this is our best guess based on the data we have from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the point is, the point I'm trying to bring across here is that from the earliest times, Sukkot Zimra was very fluid. And there were many people trying to use different psalms and different ways of using Tehillim or different songs from throughout Tanakh in order to create a morning liturgy of song to Hashem. That's point number one. Um, and, 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 and sorry, point number two, of course, is that, that it was very collaborative and that they wanted to involve the kahal in the song. Point number two. 
let's move fast forward to the earliest ideas about how the Psuche de Zimra uh, developed. There was a non-Jewish scholar whose name was Karl Anton Bomstark. He was a, a German scholar of liturgy. And his expertise was, of course, in all Oriental liturgy, not just in Jewish liturgy, but also Christian liturgy. He came up with a fancy idea called comparative, uh, a comparative, um, I think he called it comparative liturgy or comparative analysis of liturgy. His idea is essentially, well, if you take how people daven and you compare one to the other, then what you could do is you could see, well, I have this minig, this minig, this minig, and this minig, and let's see what's similar between them. And let's see if there's a system that is a, a common denominator, if there's a structure that's a common denominator. And then you could reverse engineer how the original design was of the tefillah. This was an approach taken by some early scholars of Jewish liturgy, not religious and irreligious. Many scholars wanted to say that if you look at the Pesuket Zimra, you could deconstruct it and you could come back to a, some sort of system, some sort of uh, construction. For example, let's say there's 18 shame of, uh, names of a God here, or there's 10, 10 uh, uh, expressions of praise of God here, or you could say that there's 10 praises of David uh, from, from, from King David that are deliberately placed within their in order here or there. This approach was taken by some, and Rabbi Leon Liebrich was one of the early scholars to, to publish a piece where he tries to find a system to help Suki de Zimra was uh, constructed. His belief, of course, is that uh, his belief is very ingenious, but he believes that Sukkot Zimra, as we have it today, is the result of a tension between uh, two schools of thought. One school of thought holds that you're supposed to put Malchus Shemayim first, and the other school of thought holds that you're supposed to put Haskar Hashem Hashem and Bracha first. And these two schools of thought battled it out. So Haidula Hashem, I think, has Malchus Shemayim first, and Baivarach David has Bracha first. It's a very interesting system where he shows this tension between what do we say first? Do we praise Hashem and Malchus uh, with do we praise Hashem by speaking of his sovereignty? Do we speak? Uh, do we praise God by talking about his names and blessing him? Two different ways of uh, praising God. Regardless of his research, one of the interesting things to note is that many of the verses selected for the additions to, to Pesuket de Zimra, the things that embellished the Babylonian uh, tradition from 145 to 150, from Kuf Memhe all the way to Kuf Nun, one of the features that we see of the Pesukim that are chosen is that these are uh, Pesukim which speak about God's sovereignty, right? They talk about Malchus Hashem, whether it's Haidu, whether it's Az Yashir, whether it's Vaybarach David, Lacha Hashem Amam Lacha or all throughout Hodu, or all throughout Az Yashir, we speak about God's sovereignty. Another feature is the Baruch Hashem Laolam Amen Bamein, Baruch Hashem Alakei Yisrael, Vaybarach David as Hashem. Another feature we see among the, the, the passages that are chosen are things that bless God or things that uh, bless God's name. So those are the two or three features that we see in the in the additions that are added to the to the Zimra or the verses of song. Okay, but that's Liebrich and his friends who are following the Baumstar comparative method of studying liturgy. Now along come scholars like like uh, Rabbi Yosef Heinemann and uh, Jacob Petachowski, and they have a very different approach, and they make a very strong criticism of an approach like Lee and Libra. My microphone back in check. So part of the best criticism of this approach is that most of the way that, most of the way, let's get this to, to behave. 
tech support, you know? Perfect. So most of the way that people like Rabbi Liebrich um, uh, uh, analyzed the tefillah was using modern minhagim. You cannot use a modern minhag, a modern rite, to deconstruct the actual system of Sukkot Zimra. That makes absolutely no sense. If you take the modern minhag of the Temanim and the Sephardim and the Ashkenazim and you take, uh, I don't know, the Italian Nusuch and you try to compare all of them, what you're looking at is the, the modern canonization from the last few hundred years of how the Sukkot Zimra came to be. And you're not looking at how it originally came to be in the high medieval, um, sorry, in the early medieval times or in the time of the Tanah If you just take one look at the Karaginiza, or you take a look at the uh, the Machsovitri even from from the from the 11th century France. Take one look at those Sidurim, and you'll see a completely different set of Sukkot than you're familiar with today. There's completely different additions, completely different embellishments. So you can't take and and it's very often a completely different order of the way things are put. So you can't just take a modern minog and say, well, this is how the system is. This is how it was constructed. Some people didn't say Vavarach David. Some people didn't say Haidu. Some people didn't say Az Yashir. How are you gonna? use your modern nuschais to deconstruct a system or a set of ideas or a construct or a tension or some theory for how Psyche Zimra developed, how could you use that using modern nuschais? So that doesn't work. So along comes the base of Heidemann and he says, of course, you have to use the form critical method. You have to think in terms of, of the groups of the various groups of people and the mindset and the, and, and the uh, zeitgeist of every single place that, that developed the, the uh, certain prayers. And he takes a completely different approach to studying all prayers, including Sukkot Zimra. Um, one more opinion of note is Ismar Elbogen, pictured here on the right. He says that, well, he believes that because most of Sukkot Zimra developed after the base of the Chorba Mesa Mikdash, most much of the consciousness of the those who compiled Sukkot Zimra was revolving around the Karbanites. And it was revolving around replacing the shirim of the Leviim in the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, we see shirim, we see songs like Haidu Lashem Kirbishmai, which was said over Karbanais, or Mizmer Latoda, which is said for a Karban Toda. And therefore, he believes that many of those additions, those psalms that were added in later to the Psuke de Zimra, that are not from the original Course 6 uh, Tehillim, those come from a consciousness of restoring the shirim of the Leviim of the Beis HaMikdash. That's an interesting approach, but it's very hard to make that argument when you fast forward a thousand years after the base of Mikdash, why would somebody wake up in the 800s and decide that he's going to uh, try to replace the Shirim of the Levium? It's not going to be in his consciousness as well. So it's, 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 it's an interesting approach, but it's not necessarily a concrete approach. What's much more, um, what's much more likely is that you're going to have to take a form critical approach of every single that's just a form critical, but also a geographic approach of every single nusach that you're going to find. Okay. So I believe, and I'm going to start with my own theory here, uh, as they say, um, in the yeshiva world. Um, I think that one of the best places to begin with understanding the earliest rites of, and the earliest nuschais of Sukkot Zimra is in mm-hmm. Provence. And the Jews of Provence represent a tremendous bridge and a really important place to look for the earliest uh, development of Sukkot Zimra. Why do I say that? So if we look at the earliest uh, important Sidurim we have, many of them come from France, like the Mach Servitri. 
um, uh, most notably. And the Moxovitri itself in northern France, not in southern France, has a lot of interesting, it spells out a lot of interesting variations in Pesuka de Zimra as we have them today. But in the south of France, which we call today Provence, there was even more information that was contained there by the rabbis at the time. You see, Provence sat at the border between Spain and northern France. So we're not talking about Provence as in the jurisdiction Provence that we would call today in France. Rather, Provence, when we say Chachme Provencia, the sages of Provence, we really mean the entire Occitania, the entire southern area of France, which, you know, con contains Narbonne, Lunel, uh, Mont Montpellier, uh, Languedoc, um, Arles, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, all the names are escaping me, Avignon, Many of the areas of southern France uh, today, which were used to be called Occitania, existed in Provence. And when you look at the earliest halachic sources, the earliest Bali halacha were in Provence. The one of the one of the uh, the scholars who studies Provence calls it a renaissance in the shadow of the church. Essentially, the Jews of Provence accepted and received a lot of the. Um, science and a lot of the Tyra from the Jews of Spain and also a lot of the Tyra from the Jews in the north in Germany and in France. So they were a tremendous translation engine and a tremendous hub of, of not just learning, but also of, of creativity and generation and translation. And they bridged two worlds between Spain and and northern and and north and France and Germany and, and what was called at the time Alemania, right? The uh, the the northern uh, Anche Rhinos, the, the people in the who followed the Rhine River. So in Provence, part of their creativity was that they began writing works on halacha. We have the Sefer Manig, the Sefer Eshkol, the Sefer Ochus Chaim, the Shiboli Halekets, Italian, but also influenced by Provence. And a lot of these early works of halacha um, are the first clues we have for a deep exploration of the way the, the Psuket de Zimra developed. And it's there that we see a lot of the uh, a lot of the customs that are that are mentioned there, like in the Sefer Hoshaim, where he talks about how things are done in the, in 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 their shul, or in the Sefer Eshkol, or in the Sefer uh, Hamanig. These are the earliest sources, which give us a lot of information about why they what who said Hodu, why they decided to say Hodu, who said Azashir, why they thought you had to say Azashir. And although other sources are very nice, I believe that Provence really gives us some of the best and the most information regarding Psuka de Zimra. That's my opinion. But again, uh, I don't have enough time to really hammer home why I believe that. But we're going to rush through now as much as I can all of the uh, Psuka de Zimra that we can cover. My main theory for how the Psuka de Zimra was embellished, and this is something I want to arrest on the Chachme Provence is my main theory for what got chosen is the the transfer is that my main theory for why uh, the the six the six to uh, didn't remain the six Tehillim is because of Shabbos and Reish Chodesh. Essentially, my theory goes like this: before the turn of this of the millennium, most Jews said Psuket Zimra at home, and it was a private matter. The only time they said Pesuket Zimra on Shul was on Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh when people had more time. And that's when the Chazan would be the one to say Pesuket Zimra and the Kahal would do it along with him. After the turn of the millennia, you had, you had a custom up, uh, up here where more people would start saying Pesuket Zimra 
in the synagogue. So what happens here? Most of the Jews are educated as to what is correct Pesukah de Zimra only when they go to shul. Remember, if you're a Jew who's born in 900, how do you know what Pesukah de Zimra to say at home? Well, either you're taught by your father or your Rebbe, or you go to shul. When do you go to shul and hear Pesukah de Zimra? Only on Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. It's the only time you're going to hear Pesukah de Zimra. So if you go to shul every Shabbos or every Rosh Chodesh, and you hear them saying an extra Mizmar for Shabbos or Rosh Chodesh, you're not necessarily going to know that that's only for Shabbos or Rosh Chodesh. And it's my belief that the confusion between that distinction of Shabbos versus Rosh Chodesh versus a weekday uh, to, uh, to psalm is what caused so many of the embellishments that we have to the Pesukah de Zimra. What started with six psalms uh, almost tripled in size into a, a Pesukah de Zimra, which has elements of Torah, of Nevi'im, and of Ksuvim. So that's my theory. And my theory, again, once more, is that it was people come to synagogue mostly on Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. That's, that's when they hear the Pesukah de Zimra. So therefore, privately, when they say Pesukah de Zimra at home, they also include those psalms. And eventually they get mixed and mashed and nobody knows the difference between the psalms which are only said on Shabbos or Rosh and the psalms that are said uh, when in private. And that's why we have so many more psalms ending up in the liturgy. I have multiple proofs for this, especially in Rabbi Huda ben Yakar, uh, who is a Provencal uh, scholar in the in the works of Orchos Chaim, from Aaron Milunil, in the works of the Sefer Manik, Sefer Eshkol, etc. Many times you'll see hints to this. So let's begin. And oof, we're going to run out of time, but I'm going to try to race through this, God willing. Wow. Um, let me share my screen if possible. We might have to continue this like part one, part two next week. Heaven help us. Okay. Sorry, it was late. We had some uh, special family time we had to get done tonight. Okay. One of the earliest sources for the embellishment of Pesukah de Zimra is, of course, in in Masechus Seifrim Yud Zayin Yud Aleph. Says the says the Brisa, or probably not a Brisa. This is probably composed in like the eighth or the ninth century. It's talking about Reish Chodesh. It says about Trichim Leimarachri Yehi Kavod Hashem, Hashem Melech Mizmar Shu La Hashem Divrei Seifrim VeAchrav Haydu La Hashem Kiru Bishmai VeSheishes Mizrayim Shall Kol Yaim. So there's a couple of things here that it says you have to say in Reish Chodesh. Two of them you're probably very familiar with, saying Yehi Chavayda Hashem every day. Shiru Hashem Shir Chadash, right? Sorry, Hashem Melech. Hashem Melech Hashem Yimloch Lalam Ba'ed. Shiru Hashem Shir Chadash, which is for Rosh Chodesh specifically. And then finally you say, Hoidu Hashem Kiru Bishmai, and then the sixth, the sixth Mizrayim of every day. What are we seeing here? We're seeing that in the ninth or the eighth century, there's Haidu and there's Yehi Chavayda Hashem and there's Hashem Melech. Three very important things. Now, that's pretty early. The seventh, eighth, Somewhere between the seventh, eighth, and ninth century, it's already in a Gaon, early Gaonic era. We're seeing that the Jews have set are saying these three important things. Now, what's very important is that remember, it doesn't even say all the verses of Yichavod. It just expects you to know Yichavod Hashem Olam, even though those are various verses from throughout Psalms. It just says Yichavod Hashem Ahodol Hashem Kirbishmo, and expects you to know what it's talking about, which is fascinating. Which tells you that by the eighth or seventh or eighth century, it was already so well known that it didn't have to explain itself, which would probably push the date back around 150, 200 years at the very minimum, if by then it was so well known. If it says Hashem Melech and it doesn't have to tell you, 
this is probably early medieval, so roughly the 500s or 600s, where this practice starts to get developed of saying these things as a permanent fixture of Psuke de Zimra. So that's a very important early source. Okay. Um, now, why Haidu? Haidu Lashem, Kirubushmo, is of course part of Divrei Yamim. It's where David Amalach sings a song because the Aron was returned from the Plishtim. The Plishtim stole the Aron. They ransacked Shiloh. God struck them down with plagues. They returned the Aron, and David um, proceeds the Aron to a tent, which he makes in Yushalayim. They they bring Karbanis in front of the Aron, and they sing songs, and they 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 bring Karbanis there in Yushalayim for 43 years until they build the base of Mekdash. So those songs... Um, that song that he taught them to say is Hashem In, I believe it's in the Seder, yeah. In, let me just share my screen again. Seder Olam Rabbah. In Seder Olam Rabbah, it says in Yudalid that they would say it, who was it? And Meaning that they used to split it up. That in the in their time, when they were still singing before the building of the Beis Hamikdash, they would split Hodu into two parts. Say one in the morning tamid and one in the evening tamid. And the and the Rishonim believe that they still do this in the time of the Beis Hamikdash as well. So Hodu Lashem was used by the Karbanos of the Beis Hamikdash. Very interesting. So. According to the Rishonim, the Rishonim believe that the reason Hodul Hashem was added is because it was added near the Karbanis. Since we just said the Karbanis early in the morning, we should add it to um, Suke de Zimra because we're follow- it should start Suke de Zimra following the Karbanis, and we should say Sukim, which were said in the Beis Mikdash in regards to the Karbanos uh, or by the Karbanos. Now, some of the early Gonim or earlier Shonim sources don't have Hodul Hashem Kirubishmo, especially the Ramam doesn't have it. So the Temanim told us they only say Hodul Hashem Kirubishmo on Shabbat. But what I find interesting is two things. First of all, that Mesech Sofrim says it only by Rosh Chodesh. Second of all, is that if you look in, Rishom, in the Siddur in the of Rosh Hashem of Shimshon from Worms, he holds that they only said it on Shabbat and they would only say it responsively when people had more time. So it's my belief that originally the Minag was to say it only on Rosh Chodesh. Then they started saying it on Rosh Chodesh or Shabbos whenever they had more time. And then eventually more and more Jews began saying it every single day since they got used to saying it on Shabbat. It also transferred to the weekday liturgy. That's my own theory. And it's just in line with the way I, I, I'm currently seeing things. Hashem Allah Hashem Allah Hashem That's the next part of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the liturgy we should just quickly touch on. Um, this is a very early minute. Of course, we just we just saw it in in, in Seifram. The Siddur of Amram has it for Shabbat, right? As I mentioned, again, the thing seems to start off as a, a minute of Shabbat. And in the Sefer Amanig, the Ravan is quoted as saying that we, we only say it here on Shabbat. And also in Spain and in Provence, they would say it on Shabbat and they would repeat Hashem Elech twice. Now, the first source for this language, is in It's a famous medrash. There's a, a every day there's an angel that stands in the middle of heaven and he and he opens and he says, and all of the 
legions of the heavens respond after him until he's until they get to Baruch Hu Hashem on Bayrach. So this Medrash and Heicholos sounds like it's saying that while the Jews are praying in 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 the, in the morning, the angels in the morning are also praying, and they begin with Hashem Alach Hashem Alach, and all the angels stand to say this. So even though this began in many places in Klal Yisrael as a minig on Shabbat, it seems to have spread to the point where the Beis Yosef and the Torah already mentioned this as, I believe it's the Torah, but I could be wrong, as a minig that people would say every single day. Shbulei um, Aleket says that we stand in order to be like the Malachim. But many people would only do it during the Shabbat because that's when we had time. You know, a weekday we don't have time to add extra things to the Pesuket de Zimra. Mizmar Latoda is attributed in the Gemara and Shavuos to being part of the um, the the Mizbayim that the, that the Levim would say in the base of Mikdash by a carbon toda. But if you look in, uh, let me just show you the Gemara Shavuos. It's Tanur Banashir Shal Toda B'Kenaris B'Neilim B'Tzatzalim Al Kol Pina V'Pina V'Al Kol Avedayim Shemushalayim V'Aimer, and they would say Aramim Chashem Kedil Sani V'Shir Shal Bagayim. Right? They would say the Shir Shal Toda by every carbon toda. Okay. Now, if you look at the also the sitter from Worms from Shlomo Ben Shimshon, what you'll see is that he says that we say it with a we say it slowly. Uh, let me let me uh, pull this up one second. I think he says no, it wasn't Shlomo Ben Shimshon. It's Yehuda Ben Yakar from Provence. He says that Mizbar Latoda we say it we say it with a song and we say it slowly and nicely. And some in Hagemar we only say it on Shabbat. The Abudurham says that uh, some people only say it Shabbat, and that some people only say it not on Shabbat because we don't bring a carbon toda on Shabbat. So you have a funny changeover from before the, the turn of the, from, be, from the earlier medieval times to later medieval times, where originally it's added for Shabbat only because you could see, you, there was apparently some sort of rhyme or reason, some sort of nice long song, which uh, lended people to say Mizmar Latoda. Maybe it's an introduction for Mizmar Shilam Shabbat Tov Lahodot Lashem. Perhaps it's something like that. But then later people are like, wait a second, we don't say Mizmar, we don't say, bring a Karma Toda on Shabbat. So they stop saying it on Shabbat. And that's the minute today, many Jews don't say Mizmar Latoda on Shabbat. Again, um, in their time, we have, a, we have a few attestations that they also said, Lashemayim Mishapim Kavot Kel every day. That Buddha Ham says many people said, Lashemayim Mishapim Kavot Kel every day before Baruch Shamar, but they would only say it on Shabbat. Our Minhag is, we only say it on Shabbat. Other people do it by weekday, but we don't. That's what the Abu Dharam says. Now, as far as Yehi Kavod Hashem Le'olam, the Rishayinim see Yehi Kavod Hashem, and I'm sorry, I'm going to, uh, let me just cycle through my images here to see if I have, okay, good. The Rishayinim see Yehi Kavod Hashem Le'olam as essentially a introduction to Ashrei. As far as they see it, Yehi Kavod Hashem Le'olam is a whole bunch of sukim which were used to introduce the ashray. And if you think about that for a second, that means that there was a collaborative prayer. There was a collaborative sung introduction, which they would sing a melodic introduction to the ashray. This is just the way, this is not my own theory. This is simply the way that, that the Rishonim see it. And some of them in Hagen, by the way, have an extra pasuk here. They're like, Utza Eza far from Yeshaya. They put in, uh, the, the, even the Tiamanim today still do it that way. The Ramam did it that way. Sadegon does it that way. There were various readings of We don't know exactly how they did it in the early medieval times. But from the fact that the Rishayim see it as an introduction to, to Tehillah Ledavid, um, that would also lend in a, lend credence to the possibility that perhaps is also originally part of that it was originally a part of those original uh, verses. And the whole Yehichavod Hashem Lolam's uh, system was originally introduced as a 
uh, a melodic or a harmonic uh, introduction to the Pesuke de Zimra. If you look at just at the syllable, the amount of syllables they have in Yehi Chavon Hashem Olam, you already see that, that it's harmonious, that it has an element of song. Give me one second. I have to just pause the recording for Kaddish. Okay. Okay. So although this is difficult to prove, my just to continue after we stop the recording, I do believe that Yichavod was a introduction they used to Tehillah Ladavid on the days that they had time, and eventually it became a part and parcel of the Pesukah de Zimra, especially from the responsive ways we see that early Rishonim would say Yichavod Hashem Olam. Now, I do want to discuss Ashrei Yosheh Secha and Tvayvarach David and Azashir. I don't think we have time by the end of this recording, so what I'm probably going to do is we're going to dive in Marvit here. I'm going to let me just pause the video here. I th- and I think I'm going to append a video to the end of uh, this class for for YouTube so that everybody can can finish the class later. OK. All right. This is going to be a lot better audio. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around. Um, I'm continuing here from the Shul's office. So here we go. Let me exit here. Let's let's continue where we left off. Right, so we were doing, we just finished speaking about Yehich Hashem. Ashri Yosheh fascinating topic. So when did we begin start to start calling it Ashrei? As you all know, Kuf Memhe starts off, the, the parrot Kuf Memhe starts off with the words Tehillah Ladavid. So when did we start calling it Ashrei? So there's a, a Gemara in, in Brachos, and this is in Kuf, uh, sorry, in Brachos Daladam Abbas. Let me share my screen with you. A little easier here. Gemar and Brachas stuff, Daladam Abase, where it says, Amr Biechanan. And I think you could read it here. I believe. Now, in almost all of the versions of Shas, it says, And Therefore, some scholars have been like, oh, wait, I get it. So if it says in Talmud Bavli already, if it's calling the, if Talmud Bavli already is calling uh, Ashrei, uh, Tila Ladavid Ashrei, it must be this is really old. From the time of Rabbi Yechanan already, people are calling Tila Ladavid Ashrei. And therefore, they believe that Ashrei is a really, really old um, uh, term. I'm very skeptical of that. First of all, because we have the, this here, this Paris manuscript we have the Paris manuscript says, but also because almost all of the early sources that I could find from the time of the Geonim almost always call David. They don't call it anything else. One time, uh, I think of Natranaigon calls it Parasha Rishona, right? The first Parasha. But he doesn't call it um, Tehila Ladavid. He doesn't call Ashrei Tehila uh, He doesn't call uh, Ashrei Ashrei. It would seem to me that in the time of the Geonim, they still had uh, the sense that it was called Tehillah the David, and Ashrei was a separate part. Some Rishayim see Ashrei, the words Ashrei, as being part of an introduction to the Tehillah the David. Now, was it an introduction that was a part of Yehichavod, or was it a separate introduction? That's another question. My belief is that it was originally a a section on its own, and it was its own introduction to the Ashrei that was used on Shabbat, 
or on other times when people had an extra amount of time. And eventually a whittled down version became the standard introduction. How do, why do I think this? Because if you open a Machservitri, and I'm holding one right here, and you look at the beginning of Ashrei, they say, as Tosafot in, in, in Lamed Beit Amud Beit in Shas, Tosafot says that the French would say Ashrei Harbe. They would say many Ashreis. Now there's a Mesora in the Medrash that there's 20 Ashreis in Tehillim for the 20 Oys in Eov, whatever that means, um, 20 Happies for the 20 Oys. But Rashi, in, in, sorry, the, the Minog of Northern France was that before they would say Ashrei Yoshevetecha, they would say Ashrei Tmimei Derech. They would say, let me find the actual language here. Until the end. This is just the minig of northern France. Now, other Rishonim, such as Tosafot, lambast it. Rehuda Chassid says, absolutely not. You can't, you can't change the amount of words. Uh, this is added for a reason. And they all lambast this minig of the northern French. My suspicion, however, is that those original words of Ashrei Yosheveisecha are just the last words that of a Chazanic introduction to Tehillah Ladavid. This Chazanic introduction of Tehillah Ladavid spread far and wide. People would say it when they had extra time, but if they didn't have time, they would just suffice themselves with the last words of this um, uh, introduction from the Chazanim. They would do Ashrei They would say the last two verses of that longer introduction, and they would use that as an introduction for Tehillah Ladavid. That's my theory. I believe it comes from the Shabbat, it comes from the Rosh Chodesh, and then it was eventually added to the rest of of uh, to the rest of Tehillah Ladavid. Now, of course, the Rishonim and Achreinim have other reasons why this was added, and the Mikubalim, but for now, I'm going to work with... Um, I'm going to work with what we have in the time of the re, of the Rishonim, so we'll we'll get to some of those those later theories so to, some, to some of those later theories uh, later, especially the, the theories from the Achronim and the Mekubalim, we're, we're, we're going to, God willing, get to those theories later. Now, how about Vaivarech David? Um, I wish I kept my notes open for Vaivarech David. We're, our earliest sources, I believe, ever for Vaivarech David are in the Siddur of Amram Gaon. He has it until Vahalol Hashem. He doesn't have the section of Vaharatu Mohabirit. Then... We have, I believe it's mentioned in Sadia for Shabbat, if I'm not mistaken. And then what happens is that we see a bridge where the Sukkim for Nechemi, Vacharti Mawar Brit, are added to the end of Avarach David. So, most of, already in the time of the Rishayim, this was well understood that what happens is as follows. Somebody decided Vavarach David is a Shira that should be added to the Psukit Zimra. That's first of all. But second of all, there's no connection between Vavarach David and Az Yashir. So once Az Yashir became a part of the liturgy, they needed something to bridge the two. So they continued uh, Vavarach David with Psukim, which were related to Vavarach David, which was Vavacharit Mohabrit. And then at the end of it, it talks about Kriyat Yamsuf, and that bridges it into, into um, Az Yashir. And that's how that addition, both Vavarach David and, and uh, Vavacharit Mohabrit, got into the, the Psukim Zimra. The real question is, who decided to add Vavarach David? If it's as early as Amram Gaon, um, the answer is, well, we don't know. We, we know that uh, 
we know that it's there, but we don't we don't know who added it. It, it appears to be something that people added when they had extra time. And one of the themes we see in Vayvarach David is that it talks about bracha of Hashem and it talks about the malchus of Hashem. Rehuda ben Yaker has an important theory where he, theory where he says there's ten mizmayim of David Hamelach, and they they added Vayvarach David to get to a tenth. That's why they added Vayvarach David, which is an interesting theory. But even his counting is not so accurate because if you actually count it from Hodu all the way to Vayvarach David, you don't really exactly get ten. But that's his theory. Now, the Baruch Hashem Olam Amen Amen is a mystery. The Rishonim all speak about the Maram Mirotenberg. Maram Mirotenberg, if somebody uh, interrupted him during Pesukah Zimra, he had an onus and he had to talk. Um, before he would talk to somebody, let's say this, there was a Sakana, he would say, Baruch Hashem Olam Amen Amen Baruch Hashem Olam Ve'ada Olam. He would, before he would speak to somebody, why? Oh, look at that. My page is printed. <laughs> and then it ran out of paper. <laughs> okay, fascinating. I thought it ran out of paper. Okay, so the the um ma, it seems that the Maram felt that those pesukim are like a bracha, and therefore instead of saying ishtabach, he would interrupt with those pesukim. The riff, famously, the riff says that baruch shamar until yishtabach is like an opening bracha and a closing bracha. So the riff invents a halacha where he says you can't talk in between baruch shamar and yishtabach. Doesn't look like the Maram completely agreed with that. It could be that the Maram held Maker Hadin, you could talk because those brachas were instituted later. And therefore, we don't know exactly why, but the Maram would use Baruch Hashem Alkei Yisrael or Baruch Hashem Lolam Amen Amen. He would use those as brachas to finish Pesukit if he was interrupted. So the theory goes among the Achronim and the Rishonim that since we're adding new things to Pesukit before we add these new things, we should interrupt and say Baruch Hashem and say like a quasi Yishtabach before we go on to Vayvarach David and Az Yashir. Now, the earliest source for Az Yashir is actually Tshuva Nagonim. The Rabbi the, the was asked about Az Yashir. Do we, do, do we say Az Yashir? Uh, should we say Az Yashir every day? And he says, the Yeshivas, we don't say Az Yashir. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not our minug. We immediately close with Yishtabach. In other places, they have the minug to say Az Yashir on Shabbat and Yom Tov, but we don't object to the practice a few years later, in the Siddur of Sadigon, he says that some people say um, Az Yashir all the way until Shirat Miriam. But he's talking about the weekdays, which sounds like in Egypt or in other places that were further away from, from the jurisdiction of, of the Yeshivas and Babel, they would say Az Yashir every day. So it sounds like a Bavli Yerushalmi thing, where the Jews of Eretz Yisrael, in the later medieval times, began to say, um, well, I was, no, I should say in early medieval times began to say Az Yashir to add that to their Pesukit Zimra every day or their Tefillah Sashir every day. I'm guessing here because, again, this is something from Egypt, something that Rav Sadigon is familiar with. And he says, it's a nice midig. It's not Maker Dedina, but the Tamanim until today still say Az Yashir all the way to the end of Shirat Miriam. It's a very beautiful thing. The Mahasavitri says something absolutely fascinating. The Mahasavitri brings a tshuva um, in Hilchotisha Ba'av in Siman uh Reish Samachay. Mahasravitri brings a, a claim from the communities of Rome that they said that in Eretz Yisrael, our communities of Rome, which have been here since Gauls by Shani, because everybody in Rome thinks they've been there since Gauls by Shani, that our minag here and in Spain is that we would say Azashir, we would say Azashir every day. Now, this is the minig Italy. This is what we've been doing all the way since Eretz Yisrael. So it sounds like the minig, again, was a minig of, of the Jews who were under the jurisdiction of Eretz Yisrael, those early Jews from Spain and the Jews of Italy who had an early minhag. Um, lastly, the Rambam brings the minhag as well. He also brings the minhag. Some Jews would say ha'azinu. And he recommends saying it after Yishtabach, not to make a hefzik, since this is a new thing. Don't uh, don't make a hefzik in, in regular standard Pesukah Zimra. Say it after Yishtabach. Um, 
the Sefer Eitim objects to the custom of saying it before Yishtabach. The Manik says that by his point, already in the 12th century in Provence, almost everybody says it, and therefore it's not appropriate to skip it, and you should add the, um, you should add Azyashir to, you should add Azyashir to the Psuke de Zimra. So as far as, I believe we've just gone through a, whew, a crash course of all the additions to the Psuke de Zimra and the basic theory for how they got added. My the the dominant theme again to recap to too long didn't read the dominant theme here seems to be that the that um the corpse Yuka de Zimra, as far as the Talmud Bavli uh Minog was concerned began with six Mizmorim and then in public service when people would do Psuke de Zimra in public, which is usually on Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh, there were other psukim added and other psalms parakim added. Over time, many Jews began to confuse the the, the parakim that was said in synagogue as also parakim of the standard psukim Zimra that they should say every day. And therefore, we have discrepancies between different menhagim about what to add and when. Some would only say certain things on weekdays. Some would only say it on Shabbat. Some had a minhag to specifically say things if you're only alone. Some had a specific, because their father told them, no, you only say that alone at home. Some say we only say this, and we only say this one if you have a minion and you have a, in your betzibur. Some say have a specific minog about these things, that we only say it with a song. It, it seems clear that a lot of these earlier embellishments were originally melodic or responsive, collaborative psalms that were said with the tzibur when the tzibur had more time, such as holidays, Shabbat, and... and um, and Yom Tov and Rosh Chodesh. That's my theory. That's what it seems to be. And it seems to be that most of the extra Psuket Zimra developed by, uh, some would call it accident, some would call it coincidence, some would call it Siyatu Deshmaya, of God's will over the history of what becomes the standardized Psuket Zimra. As far as a halachic sense goes, of course, the, the core six are the most important. From Ashrei all the way until the end of Hallelujah, those are the six most important since they are the prime uh, core of the Pesuket Zimra. That's what Talmud Bavli essentially began with. And the rest of them are just later uh, additions. Now, by later, of course, we mean even six, seven hundreds, the six, even the 6th century, 7th century, 8th century. A lot of these additions got there at least by the early medieval medieval period. So these are Kadosh Maharek. You know, they say Kadosh uh, Maharek uh, Kedem, right? The holy of the earliest mountains of high. And no Jew would ever contest the holiness and the importance of these additions to the Pesuket de Zimra. So God willing, next week, if we have more time, we will delve into a couple of the extra theologies and the extra reasons that the Rishonim developed and the Achronim developed around the various Pesuket de Zimra, especially in regards to the much later modern additions to the Pesuket de Zimra, which are, um, looks like uh, Gary just had to run out, but Next week we're gonna we're gonna study the modern edition, some of the Mizmorim that were added, like the Kalakamas Hashem, the Mizrashir Khanukasabaisal David, some of the additions to Kitab Zimra that were added in the past five hundred years. So thank you everybody for your time and attention. I'm sorry this took so long and that we changed our scenery, but we will continue. Um and let me just let me just check my slides to make sure I didn't have anything else I wanted to show you. We will yeah, this is the the papal states that I was I was gonna put it uh, put in the uh uh, to explain the komtat, but we didn't have time to get to that tonight. So we will continue Bezrat Hashem next week. Uh,